Hello and welcome to another edition of Disenfranchised. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancied themselves full-fledged franchises, but fell flat on their faces after their first film. My name is Stephen Foxworthy, and I am one of your hosts. Uh, the other host, just returned from his voyage across the eighth dimension, is my good friend Brett Wright. Brett, how's it going, sir? I'm back, baby. Yeah, and we are happy to see you. Happy that we have got you plugged in for this episode. Uh, and uh, also here with us today, we are uh, excited to welcome our favorite monkey boy. Uh, it's Tucker. Hey, it's me. Thanks for not using my given name. I appreciate the uh, the use of my preferred moniker. Absolutely. Hey, well, you know, we we fouled it up once and we don't want to do that to you again. Oh, yeah, that's so. right. I totally called you out. <laughs> yeah, you did. And rightly so. I do that. I don't mean to. Like, I call you guys out all the time, but not because I don't like you, but it's because I do like you. You are our one engaged fan. So we always appreciate that. Yeah. I will say Joseph is pretty engaged, too, but he's more engaged over like Facebook uh, Messenger, whereas you're engaged just right out there in public. I just throw it out there. I don't care who sees it. That's right. And that and that is why that is why we love you. And that is why you're here, man. Um, in fact, you were the very first person to ever suggest an episode for us to do. Uh, and so we said, you know what, let's let's have him on to talk about that episode when the time comes. And guess what? The time has come. The time is now. The time is now. We, now is the time. The future is now, friends. The future is now. <laughs> Not tomorrow, as this movie would have you believe, but now. No. Right now. Uh, and Brett, what movie is that that we're talking about right now? Uh, it's Buckaroo Banzai. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension from 1984, directed by W.D. Richter and starring Deep Breath here, Peter Weller, John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd, Lewis Smith, Rosalind Cash, Robert Edo, Pepe Seri, uh, I'm sorry, Pepe Serna, apologies, Pepe, Ronald Lacey, Matt Clark, Clancy Brown, William Trainer, Carl Lumley, Vincent Chiavelli, the great Vincent Chiavelli, Dan Hedaya, and a few other people. Uh, most notably, honestly, Jonathan Banks. I do want to talk about Jonathan Banks' 1984 here in a bit because, man, what a wild year that guy had. Sure. But yeah, uh, wow, what a cast. What an ensemble. Indeed. It, it, and here's the thing. It's all of these people before they hit, mm -hmm. which is what makes this movie so insane. Because most of these people are within just a few years of getting their big role that would kind of catapult them uh, into, I guess you might say, star status. I feel like Goldblum was on the radar at this point, at least, because he'd done like the fly and stuff. He had, let's, let's, okay, we're going to jump right into talking about Goldblum. And I'm I pretty sure it. the fly came before this, right? Either that or very, very fly close. came two years later. Fly's 86. Really? Yes. Now I feel dumb. Yeah, you're fine, man. Um, Dude, I do that I, sort of thing all the time. I'm not sure if you notice. Well, I didn't say I am dumb. <laughs> wow. The fleeting wow. feeling. Wow. The one it's thing that, the one thing that Goldblum has done at this point that he would probably get noticed for is uh, the 1978 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in that. Yeah. That's the screamy one where they mm -hmm. point and they scream. That's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah, that exactly. exact thing. Yep. Uh, it's it's good. I like it a lot. Um, that movie is great. Uh, and Jeff Goldblum, really good in it. Uh, playing uh, a similar kind of character here. He is also, I'm sorry, he has also done The Big Chill 
as well. He had done the, oh, yeah. the big yep. kill just the year before. So those are the two. You're so in that respect, yeah, he is probably on the radar, but not. I mean, he really doesn't get big, big until about '94 with Jurassic Park. Yeah, uh, I keep saying '94. It's actually '93 when Jurassic yeah. Park came out. I made that mistake so many times in our, I think, our Godzilla episode, <laughs> or. Um, yeah, but uh, so many times um, talking about Jurassic Park, but yeah, it was 93. So there you go. But yeah, Goldblum uh, in this movie has not done, of course, you know, once once the 90s hit, it's it's Goldblum's world and we're all, we're all just living in it. Um, but yeah, before this movie, not really much to speak of. I, I don't mean, know. Christopher Lloyd was uh, he had done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, a couple other things. I think he was also on the radar. Uh, but he's a year away from Doc Brown in Back to the Future, which is his big, again, his big thing. And he spends most of this movie in a mask. So you oh really wait, there's 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 a, uh, the guy who's the bartender in Back to the Future Three. He's the government guy in yeah. this movie. Yes, that's that guy. Yeah, uh, I feel well, like the train engineer is in. There's a couple people in Back to the Future Three that I feel like are in this movie. Not the train engineer. Is this a holdup? No, it's a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I don't remember that actor's name. Uh, let, hang on, I will. I'm gonna. I want to find the secretary's name. Um, I'm looking through the. He's not the president. Secretary of Defense. Matt Clark is that actor's name. Yeah. Um, and he is best known for his first two. On his known for are the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai and Back to the Future Part Three. Round here we pour whiskey. Yeah. And then, you know, if if you drink it, you immediately pass out. And then yes. it takes you like 20 minutes to wake up. You remember what happened on the 4th of July. <laughs> he just locks to stare at it. Um, but we are actually not here to talk about Back to the Future 3. As good as we all think Strangely that movie enough, is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and it is a we'll movie that we ending, all think we'll is talk great. About that later. Uh, I have a hot take, and I know Brett agrees with me on this. Uh, Back to the Future 3, better than Back to the Future 2. 100%. Agreed. Okay. Uh, we are of an accord and I'm glad I'm glad for that. Well, Back to the Future 2 can't be the best because it's the middle movie in a trilogy. The middle movie in a trilogy is basically wrapping things up from the first one and setting things up for the third one. Uh, and yet we live in a world where Toy Story 2 is the best Toy Story movie. I don't know how that You happens. think so? I absolutely. I think, think you're so. probably right. You're probably right. Uh, the, now I will tell you a movie that both Matt Clark and the guy who plays the engineer, uh, Bill McKinney were both in, uh, other than back to the future three is the outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, wowzers with Clint Eastwood. Yes. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, Bill McKinney was not in Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Huh? So his loss really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we are actually here to talk about Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, um, which is a movie I just saw today. Uh, one of the Damn. very famous cult movies, one of the the movies that a buddy of mine in college insisted that I see. Uh, he's like, oh, my gosh, you've got to see this movie. I watched maybe 10 minutes of it and went, this is too weird. I, I just I cannot do this right now. Uh, and then never got back around to it until... Tucker was like, oh, hey, you guys should talk about Buckaroo Banzai. And I was like, okay. And watched it. It's hard. It's hard to convince people to watch this movie because it's so hard to explain to people what this movie is. Yes. Like I've been trying to get my ex-wife to watch this movie for 15 years 
And today was the last time I tried to get her to watch it today. <laughs> and she was like, nah, dude. And it Sorry. didn't work out well for you. And she likes everybody in that movie. We like all the same kind of movies, but she refuses. I mean, hey, man, like, like I said, this movie is it, it is a hard sell because it's so weird. I mean, we will get into it. We've, we've got the plot in 60 Ugh, to go through. Can't wait. You're I know you're excited. I say for sarcastically. That, <laughs> I know you're excited for that. Wolf. Uh, Brett, you said you also just saw this movie earlier today. Yeah, and it's super weird. It is. It's super weird. So I guess we should uh, defer to the expert here, which Tucker, I guess, is you by default, man. What is your history with this movie? When did you see it? How did you love it? To what extent do you continue to love it? Oh, yeah. I I really wish that I had known about this movie when I was a kid because it would have been right up my alley then. It would have had like a corner lot in my alley. (laughs) I just would have lived there. But all I, I knew the name Buckaroo Banzai because my mom would use that as like a, a funny name to call people. Like when you just, you're saying something funny and you call somebody a funny name. I don't really know what an example of that would be, but I thought it was just something she made up and she's never seen the movie. She just like picked it up somewhere or whatever. Cultural um, osmosis. In 2001, uh, I worked downtown in downtown Indy, which I'm from. I don't live in Indy anymore. Hometown boys. Um, oh, I'm wearing hometown shirt. Oh, look at that. You're oh, Indiana. Indiana. No Dante represent right there. Yeah. I'm a big Dante fan myself. Oh, I was, wow. I was wishing I was part of the conversation in the last op- episode. Cause I had so much to say. I'm sure I can't I, soldiers. I, I need you to type all that up and submit it to me in triplicate, please. And thank you. <laughs> Can do. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I worked downtown on the circle at a, a chocolate shop that used to be there. Um, and so I would always go company. The nope, the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, the one they put out of business. Oh, I see. I have complicated feelings about the South Bend Chocolate Company. I can imagine. But um, there used to be a Sam Goody in the mall. I went to that Sam Goody and I just saw the DVD cover. And I was just like, this is this is a movie I like. I haven't seen this. I don't I had no idea it existed, but this is a movie I like. Took it home and watched it. I've probably seen it at least two or three hundred times. Oh, wow. At this point. And that was 2001. So I would have been 18, right around 18. I was going to say, it seems like we're all right around the same age. So that, that tracks. Yeah. And I just, I kind it's one of those movies. I just kind of, I'll throw it on. Like I'll either sit down and watch it or I'll just put it on because I've seen it so many times. I just need a few like, like sound cues. And I know exactly where we are in the movie. I know exactly what's going to be said next. I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't get it, but I know what happens. <laughs> so so to be clear, then you love this movie. You loved it before you saw it. You... Well, I, I, I don't want to say I loved it before I saw it. If it had turned out to be a piece of crap, I would not like it. But I, I, I pretty much knew I had a feeling I was going to like it. OK, I mean, the cover does. It, it's very evocative uh, for a marketing department that could not tell what this movie was about. Uh, they they kind of nailed it. That really. hand painted poster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, nice. Is that a Drew Struzan poster? Do we know? I want to say that it is, but I don't know. So I'm not going to say. I am going to use Google real quick. I can't wait until you do. I feel like I had more to that story, though. Huh? Maybe not. Uh, I think it was. If if this is, yes, artwork by Drew Struzan. Yep, there it nice. is. That makes sense. 
Solid uh, dude. Solid it does. Artist. It looks very much like kind of his design uh, mm-hmm. and his his style of, of art, uh, which is, again, he was kind of the guy when you needed yeah, a poster guy. for something in the 80s. Like, you, that's who you called. You called Drew. Mm-hmm. And he's retired now, which he is more than happy to point out anytime anyone asks him to do anything on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> he seems like a genuinely good dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so 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 you loved this movie practically from the jump. Mm-hmm. You know what happens in this movie, but you do not understand this movie. Well, it's not so much that I don't understand. It's more that the movie kind of leaves there. I wouldn't call them plot holes because it's they they're not there due to carelessness like they put that in there on purpose they well like we were talking about before we started recording like most movies like to treat you like you're an idiot this movie treats you like you're way smarter than you actually are (laughs) so like there's like intricacies like weaving through this movie that even after seeing it literally hundreds of times every time i see it i notice something new okay which for me, a movie like that is is Robert Altman's Popeye is a movie like that. It took me yeah. like the first time I saw it, I'm like, this is hot garbage. And I watched it again and I watched it again and I watched it again. And now I'm like, this movie is a masterpiece. This movie is fantastic. This is great. Uh, and then Brett sees it for the first time and he's right where I was. This movie is hot garbage. So I feel like I would be there, too, but I would also be a little more willing to give it another chance. I'm somewhere in between you guys on that movie. Which is, is fair. totally fair. I mean, honestly, we, as passionate people, when we disagree, we disagree strong. Uh, so, you know. Yeah. That, that, oh, yeah, I have, I have strong goes. opinions. I have strong opinions about stuff that doesn't matter, but I also have perspective, so I don't let it run my life. And that's, that's kind of where yes. we fall to, which, honestly, that's why our mantra is don't be a fan, just like stuff. Oh, yeah, way into that. Yeah, because again, you know, nerds are passionate people by definition, but again, too much passion is totally a thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most nerds tend to be a little too passionate. Um, But yeah, Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, weird movie. Let's get into it. But first, Tucker, your time has come. It is time for the plot in 60 seconds. I know you were trying to stall and stretch and avoid, but. (laughs) <laughs> it can be avoided for no longer. Did I tell you this is in my top five? No, it is. That's that's insane. Uh, ask me more about that. Delay the inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. Damn. Right after the plot in 60. <laughs> okay, I can do this. It's going to be very simplified. You have to understand, because if I went into all the intricacies of what's happening in this movie, we'd be here for longer than the actual movie lasts. Sure. I will give you the 30 and the 10 second warnings uh, for this. I mean, we'll have, we'll have your chance for you to break, break down a whole lot more when we're done, but we just okay. bare bones plot and 60 your time, sir. starts right. Now. Okay. So Buckaroo Banzai, he's this dude and he is a scientist. He's a surgeon. He is a musician and he's a crime fighter. Uh, him and his team, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, invent this overthruster that lets you go into the eighth dimension, which is something that his father worked with Dr. Lazardo on in the 30s, and they messed it up. So Dr. Lazardo got possessed by an alien seconds. from planet 10 via the eighth dimension. The aliens from planet 10 try to get the overthruster back. Everybody fights. The good guys win in the end. That's the best I can do. If I go any further into it, 
I mean, you I mean, got you still got 10 seconds, man. I there's an overthruster in a car and Penny Pretty and like she's the twin sister of I don't know, like where do you go? Like all right, and there's time. Listen, Hooray, this is, I did this it. is not a movie you can cram into 60 seconds at all. No, no I feel like the I, I gave you very the basic bits of the plot though. You did, you did. I mean, I, I was very worried when it took you 15 seconds to get through all of Buckaroo Banzai's superlatives. <laughs> I was so, so much worried for you. A renaissance man, you might call him. I mean, he's also a samurai, he's also a comic book superhero. That's true. He has like, his own video game. He does in the movie because Lazardo, Lazardo yeah. zaps it on the way out. Yep. Um, it's yeah, it this movie is so wild. Um, and uh, let's let's start with uh, with with Buckaroo Banzai because I mean, he is uh, the the opening uh, title crawl tells us that he is a man of uh, Japanese American descent, uh, played by Wisconsin native Peter Weller. Um, <laughs> As not as far as near as I can tell, Peter Weller not Asian uh, at ah. all. Uh, but it was the eighties. What? Are you well, I think do? if on screen, if someone is like mixed races, like you can kind of lean to one side or the other and get away with it a lot more. If you just straight up said this dude's Japanese, sure. I mean, his mom is Jamie Lee Curtis, so right, got the Jamie Lee Curtis gene. That's in the director's cut, which is not on Tubi TV. So it's not the version that Brett and I oh, saw. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess I'll just have to buy the Blu-ray for that. Well, it's on. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's free on Amazon Prime. I wonder oh, if that's I what know. I watched. Okay. Was Jamie Lee Curtis in it? I don't remember her being in it. You would have remembered. You watched yeah. the theatrical cut. Okay. I was going to say, enough. as as a fan of John Carpenter's Halloween, I feel like you would have Leonardo DiCaprio at the screen if Jamie Lee Curtis had shown. So that's I want. So there were two listings for this movie on Amazon Prime. One was only available to watch through Stars, and one was free through Prime. I wonder if the one on Stars was the director's cut. Maybe I doubt it. Usually, they just uh, Stars is an is a channel on Amazon, but they have their sure. own thing. So like, if they have are playing something that that Amazon is at also playing, they have separate listings. Okay, fair I enough. think the director's cut is only available possibly on the DVD that I have from 2001, the new on DVD that is. <laughs> yeah, so tell us, uh, you were talking to me about this uh, while we were waiting uh, for Brett at the beginning. Uh, Tucker, tell us a little bit about new on what it is, because this is uh, this is uh, worthy of Brett's video game corner. Brett, do you know about new on? Mm, I don't think so. I don't know why it sounds familiar, but I don't think I do. Tucker, Nuon, Nuon was birthed out of like the VHS gaming sort of pod of the late 80s with people trying to make video games that were on VHS tapes. Didn't go very well. DVD okay. gives you a lot more options with that kind of stuff. Um, when this thing came out, there were only, well, there still are only four DVDs that work with it. There's Buckaroo Banzai, uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, Dr. Doolittle, and what was Dr. the other one? Dr. Doolittle 2. Dr. Doolittle 2. And Bedazzled with and Elizabeth Bedazzled, Hurley and yes. Brendan Fraser. Why do I always forget that one? I love that movie. I don't know. But Nuon, basically, it was kind of like, you know how they had DVD-ROM features where like you put it in your computer and you could access stuff, like the screenplay and all those things. Um, it was kind of like that, but there were also video games on some of them. I don't know. There was like five different controllers and like three of the games that were released for it only work with the controllers that don't come with the system. 
it was a it was a, a disaster. The likes of the Apple Pippin, maybe even worse. Wow, hmm. that's uh, basically that's just DVD something. video games is what it was. DVD ROM with like five different proprietary controllers, which seems like a cluster. Like, did every did every movie game have its own controller? Was that the the thing, or you know, I'm not sure. Um, they released a whole bunch of different controllers. One of them was like a standard uh, controller, like you'd have with a 16 bit system that maybe has like four or six buttons. But then, since it came out during the 32 bit era, uh, they had a controller similar to the DualShock, and there was a game release for the Nuon, not like an actual movie, but like a standalone game release for the Nuon that required dual sticks. Hmm. The controller that came with the Nuon was just a D-pad and like four buttons. Okay. So all the controllers were different. They all did different things. Like you bought the game, you didn't know which one you were supposed to get. It was it was a disaster. It kind of sounds that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I only, yeah, I guess that's why I tangentially know the name just because it's vaguely video game related, but otherwise, yeah, that's it's crazy. What, it sounds like the video game version of the Edsel or something or the DeLorean. Yeah. yeah. Not that I'm a car guy. It's just that those are very famous clusters with regard to vehicles. So, well, and to wrap up the whole Nuon thing on the uh, Buckaroo Bonsai DVD, the Nuon features, it's not even a game. It just kind of lists the topics they talk about on the commentary. You can jump to different places in the commentary. You can watch it with kind of like a trivia thing scrolling as -hmm. well as part of the Nuon features. And there's concept art of the car. Okay. And that's it. Okay. But I'm not allowed to access it because I don't have a Nuon DVD player. Right, right. And uh, you don't think it's worth it to try to find an old one and dig it up? No, no. I don't need that kind of stuff. You don't need that in your life? Well, it's not something that I would use. I, I'm i a collector, but I'm only a collector of things that I'm going to do stuff with. Like, I don't buy video games complete in box wrapped to sit on the, the shelf. I buy them to blow in them, put them in the damn thing and play them. You're a purist rather than a completist. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which, hey, I'm the same way, so mad respect. So I'm not I'm not going to spend like three or four hundred bucks on the new one just for like that one thing that I'll look at once and I can see it on YouTube anyway. So sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, that tracks might as well. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, this movie. So given what I've been able to find, the gentleman who made this movie, which is uh, Mr. E.M. Rausch and. Uh, Mr. W.D. Richter really thought they were making the next Star Wars. Like, I think that was kind of how they pitched it to Fox. Uh, Fox, who had, of course, like distributed Star Wars. That was kind of their, they're the ones that took a chance on George Lucas. So, hey, what the heck? Why not take a chance on, you know, this other guy? Uh, and this really weird kind of sprawling sci-fi epic that we don't really understand. Um, and we, and what we get instead is not, uh, not anything like star Wars at all. Uh, in fact, what we get is honestly, it feels, I was, I was saying this to Tucker as well, before we started recording, it feels very much like a proto comic book movie. Hmm. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. I saw it. I, I kept thinking, man, this really feels like a live action anime sometimes. Okay. That's how I Oh, yeah, yeah. I could, I could definitely see that influence. Yeah. 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 Like, I'd read a Buckaroo Banzai manga. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Whereas I think I've maybe read two manga in my life. Uh, both yeah, Lone I'm Wolf not, and Cub. So it's not really my thing either. But I'm saying if they made a Buckaroo Banzai one, I'd have like three or four copies just to give some to my friends. So you're like a you're like a Buckaroo Banzai like true fan. Yeah, like I said, it's it's in my top five, and it's really hard to get in my top five. Like, what are the rest of your top five? Now I'm curious. Like, what? what well, else? I'm glad you asked, Steven. What else cracks that five, man? <laughs> my favorite movie of all time is Mary Poppins. I knew that because you have that tattoo. Because my tattoo, yeah. Uh, second favorite film of all time, Day of the Dead. George Romero's Day of the Dead. Okay, you and that's you and our previous guests, uh, Samuel Dumas, both like stand that one as the best of the Romero. Oh, yeah. Dead well, I mean, Sammy's a smart and reasonable dude. So, of course, yeah. Of course, he would have that opinion. Sure, sure, sure. The third film on my list, which I'm hoping you'll ask me on again when you guys inevitably do this movie. And if you weren't going to do it before, you have to do it now. My third one is Pootie Tang. <laughs> it's not on our list, but we'll have to add it on. Write that down right now. That's P-O-O-T-I-E Tang. Oh, I'm familiar with, with the, the concept of Pootie Tang. Uh, Pootie don't need words. Pootie don't need music. Pootie just moves. Mm -hmm. Um, that's insane that that is your third favorite movie of all time. That is madness to me. Number four is Buckaroo Banzai. And number five is a wild card spot changes all the time. I guess if I had to pick one right now, it'd probably be 12 hour shift because that movie slapped. You can see it, 12 hour shift. Nobody saw I don't that even one. I know if I know what that is. It's no. got a, the girl that was in May. Um, I can't think of her name. Uh, it's on Hulu. Okay. It was released last year and it's about a girl who works at a hospital and she works with her cousin to steal organs for the black market. Okay. It is a horror film. It's a really good horror film. It's uh, written and directed by Brea Grant is the writer director. She just uh, has, she has a new movie called lucky that I haven't looked at yet, but I'd like to just based on how good 12 hour shift was. Like, that's uh, my 2020 best, movie. 12-Hour Shift is my hour. best movie of 2020 for me. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, this is not one that I saw, so I might have to give this one a watch. It's on Hulu. It's on, hey, it's on Hulu. Give that it a Hulu. It, that makes it easier for me to watch, quite frankly. Yeah, so, yeah I'll definitely give that a, uh, a look-see. Um, but yeah, this movie is not Star Wars. I, mm -mm. On the one hand, like it's got this kind of epic backstory kind of feeling to it. You can tell they have a lot of stories that they want to tell set in this world. Mm -hmm. But it also like the things that were really attractive and really resonated about Star Wars were the thing. I It's been a long time since we talked, talked about Star Wars. So humor me, please. Um, is uh, it's, it's the classic storytelling model. It's the the Joseph Campbell of it all, you know, the hero's journey, um, playing with those archetypes, those classic archetypes um, and presenting them in uh, a rapper that was very different from what moviegoers were used to seeing. Mm -hmm. um, this movie doesn't really do any of that at all. And I'm not saying it needs to be an origin story because I, um, but 
in 1984, you're introducing a brand new character in a brand new world and just kind of taking for granted that we all know what this thing is, uh, which I'm not, and I'm not saying again, it needs to be that, but I'm, I'm saying I need a little more, I need a little more of a runway to get me to the movie proper, I guess. Well, I think that this film, um, if it had had the franchise it was supposed to have, we wouldn't be talking about it like this because sure. all those gaps would have been filled in. And I think from the beginning that was kind of started with, like I was telling you on all the press for this movie, on the DVD commentary, the writer and the director, they, they make like it's real. Like they make reference to the real Buckaroo Banzai and all the things that he's done. And the writer claims to actually be Reno from the Hong Kong Cavaliers. <laughs> so they've kind of got their own head cannon, I guess. So sure. Which I, again, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they do. I'm happy that exists. Um, I would love to see them find another outlet for that. Yeah. Um, because I think there's, there, there, it's clear they have a lot of cool stories to tell, but, and I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording George Lucas, when he went to present star Wars, he pitched like five stories worth of ideas at the same time. And everyone was like, George, that's, there's too much here. Take this section right here, just this part, and make this the movie. And, and so he, he did, and it became Star Wars, and it was a huge hit. Um, like, he just took a, a sliver. And I feel like this movie is, like, taking the opposite approach. Someone's like, hey, you know, there's, there's too much here. Just take this part and make this part the movie. And they're like, screw you. We know what we're doing. The whole thing's the movie. Yeah. And it just feels like, and, and I am, believe me, and I have advocated for it before, I'm all for leaving it all on the dance floor, like putting it all out there and just making the movie you want to make. But this movie is even overstuffed by those standards. Like there, even the, I mean, the main character, it took you 15 seconds just to list his superlatives. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this character can do no wrong. Like, I, I don't feel a lot of tension with this guy because he's just so perfect in every conceivable way that I, I, if it weren't for Peter Weller playing the character, I would be bored by him. But, but well, and that's the thing about Buckaroo Banzai and Peter Weller's performance, I think, is that you, you believe his confidence. Like his confidence is, does, is not false confidence. It's he's rad. And like, he knows it. He's not egotistical. Like he doesn't go around flaunting his shit. Like, look at me. I'm, I'm a cool guy. He's sure. very low key dude. He just does his thing. He's a Renaissance man. And I do. And I put that all on Weller, that that the character does not become tiresome because he absolutely like Weller imbues him with enough humanity that you believe that this guy can do all of these different things and still be as cool as everyone seems to think he is. Like that's well, that's all Weller. And not for nothing, but uh, Peter Weller definitely leads this movie. But I mean, you got a stellar cast. Like everybody there has their own thing going yeah. on, including like the villains. The villains in particular, I think, are the are your big your big scene stealers. Um, oh yeah, John Big Booty, Big Bootay. Excuse, excuse me, Bootay. Yes, my bad, Tay. my bad. Frankenstein. Uh, that's right. That's Forgot. right. You got it. You got it. Um, uh, and. The, the running gag of the fact that everybody in this movie is uh, or all the villains or all the aliens are named John. 
uh, presumably because that's just the most common name and no one's going to think twice if there's just a bunch of guys named John working for this one company. That show up the same night as Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast? What? Yes. I, they're like, as soon as I said Grover's Mill, I was like, hey, Grover's Mill. Hey, now. War of yeah. the Worlds. And then it actually becomes a plot point. And I was like, wait, what? Yes. Even kind of a throwaway plot point, too. It's just kind yes. of a little bit of exposition that doesn't really figure into the rest of the story. Because, again, there's so much plot. This movie is so plot dense that even like a, a, a moment like that, which in any other movie would be like the key to unlocking the whole thing is just kind of like, oh, and then here's another thing we learned. And let's go on to these five other points. <laughs> like it's just, like you have no time to like dwell on anything because we've got to get to the next thing. We got to yeah, keep yeah. moving. I'm trying. I'm just watching this thing, trying to uh, grasp onto a plot point and be like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> hold on hold oh, on wait, there's another that, one that was never important oh okay hold on what about this I one think, no? oh okay i think that they referenced that and kind of try to put your mind at ease a few times uh most specifically in the scene where reno and jersey are walking through that room and uh jersey says uh, hey w- why is there a watermelon there and reno says i'll tell you later your jersey the audience is jersey in that situation and the watermelon is this whole damn movie i I, yeah i absolutely got that from that scene like that's that's just right there to go don't worry about it yeah don't worry we know this is confusing just stay with us (laughs) you know what here's the thing it's a movie you're gonna be fine yeah we we got this you're good yeah this this and it and then you got all the the hong kong cavaliers as they are like and I, Jersey played by Jeff Goldblum is absolutely the audience surrogate character oh, yeah. to the extent that they allow him to be because again he kind of gets like us thrown into the middle of this and kind of like does a lot of the connecting and the catch up work and by the end he's just like oh yeah Kong Kong Cavaliers this is just what we do well yeah and and when it starts out even they kind of look at him as an outcast like they're making fun of him as soon as he pops up he's like did you pack your spurs doc. Well, and in fairness, he shows up dressed as like one of the writers in the sky. Listening like to country full, music on a boom box. Knowing that these guys are a rock band. Yes. Because they well, are. He, the can't, most he can't sing, but uh, 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 I can dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing I want to point out about this movie is you learn so much about Buckaroo Banzai before you even see his face. And honestly, that's how you do a hero entrance in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like if you have other characters talking about the character before he actually shows up, and then when he actually goes to the car, like by the time he takes off the mask and you see his face, you're like, oh, okay, this is obviously our hero. But I mean, you get that that silhouette shot of him like exiting the building or exiting the uh, the helicopter, mm-hmm. like the just from behind as he walks toward the car, dressed all in black. He's got the hood pulled down over his face just his eyes are showing out through the through the hood i mean it and they delay even showing us his face for as long as humanly possible and they don't even make a big deal out of it when they do correct like he's just there it's not like a big reveal he's just there and takes his helmet off it's not even like a big like full-on shot of his face he's just Mm -hmm. like on the side of the car looking at the car yeah and you just yeah. kind of ease into looking at Peter Weller, which they didn't need to do that. He's easy on the eyes anyway. I mean, yes, this is true. Although as a it, handsome man, which is why it's weird that his most famous role is him with his half his face completely obscured. So it's that chin, man. It it's is. That, that's a powerful chin. All you needs the chin. Dude could have played Batman is all. I'm oh, saying. yeah. Uh, actually, he has one of the animated movies. He he voiced Batman. I don't remember okay. which one. 
I, mean, I want to say it was the Red Hood movie, but I think I'm wrong. You, I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, I've, got, I've got his IMDb page pulled up right here. Maybe it was on one of the newer Justice League animated movies. I'm going to let you look it up instead of theorizing about it. Uh, he's the Dark Knight Returns. Oh, he's old Batman. That's right. He's yeah. old Batman. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, Good I liked man. that one because unlike... Um, What's the one where Barbara Gordon gets shot? Uh, the Killing, the joke, killing joke. joke. Unlike that animated movie, they didn't add some weird sex subplot with Batgirl in it. They just followed the comic. Yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. And Boy, yeah. that made me uncomfortable, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No, it's not. Um, but I mean, yeah. So, so, I mean, he does. He gets like the full on hero treatment in this movie. Um, three years later, he would be uh, American Jesus himself, RoboCop. Um, and the rest, as they say, like that's the kind of the movie that puts him on the map. Um, but it, it, had this picked up, it probably would have been this movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, this movie didn't really uh, grab audiences again because it is just so damn weird. Mm-hmm. It, it It's just I, the weirdness of this movie cannot be understated. It really can't. It's so complete. And I can't even put my finger on exactly what it is about this movie that is so freaking odd. But you know, you well, know what's think- crazy though is that's why I like it. That's yeah. why I like it so much, honestly. Like if I had watched this when I was younger, I might not have been into it as much. But nowadays, this I'm, I was into it, man. I was like, just give me more. I want more of this. I wish they'd made sequels. This is a movie. I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm going... I'm not connecting with this as much as I had hoped I would, but by the end of it, I was like, I bet if I watched that again, I would really grow to love this movie. Like this is a movie I can see uh, uh, myself appreciating more on further rewatches. Definitely. Um, Because it is so gloriously weird. So epically bizarre. But again, you can tell that there's stuff in there that the casual viewer is absolutely going to miss. It feels like a movie that rewards rewatches which mm-hmm. i respect um like like you were saying tucker it's a movie that makes that assumes the audience is way smarter than it probably is and honestly those are the movies you have to go back and revisit in order to really see what's all going on and what it's trying to do there's a modern film that came out uh i think in 2011 that reminds me of buckaroo bonsai in no other way except for in what you just said where it rewards the viewer the more they watch it and it's called detention and it's this weird horror sci-fi music video time travel josh hutchinson produced movie that's amazing but it's a trip it's directed by a music video director and it's one of those movies like buckaroo bonsai that crams a whole bunch of stuff in there but he does it like with mtv speed editing hmm it's wild it's really really good i definitely recommend it to you guys but if you're going to watch it watch it at least three times in a row Oh, in a row. Okay. So because I gotta... unlike unlike Buckaroo Bonsai, where it, it kind of it jumps past you, um detention like sprints past you as fast as it can and leaves you in the dust. So you have to watch it so many times just to catch the stuff. Okay. Uh so yeah, I've got to wa- I've got to devote four and a half hours of my life to watching this movie. Okay. Yeah. I'm into it. Cool. Into it's it. so good. So cool. All right. I will and it is currently uh Available to rent on Amazon Prime, according to IMDb. So, yeah, I bought the uh, Blu-ray. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. Honestly, there is. It looks like a Blu-ray steelbook of Buckaroo Bonsai available from Shout Factory right now. Yeah, uh, which yeah, I, I know. might 
have to pick up. Honestly. But see, if I bought that, then I wouldn't I wouldn't have any use for um, my DVD, and I love that DVD. But here's this is how you know, Tucker, that you're a true fan of something. You buy it multiple times. Well, let me tell you, I'm a fan of many things, and one of the things I'm a fan of are CRT televisions. And I have a CRT television with a DVD player connected via component. <laughs> And my DVDs look better on my 23-inch CRT than they do on my 50-inch flat screen. Okay. Because there's no upscaling involved. Sure. Pixels are what they're supposed to be. Makes sense. Got my letterbox going on. All right. Fair enough, man. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. For me, some movies, I think, just like some people are like certain music sounds better on vinyl. I think certain films lend themselves to certain formats. Like, like you can't watch Sleepaway Camp on Blu-ray. You got to watch it on VHS. The one that you've watched a thousand times, you can barely see what's going on. All the tracking and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some stuff just lends itself to certain formats. And I would say for me, at least for me, Buckaroo Banzai lends itself to DVD. That's always how I've seen it. Okay. Whereas I, I just saw it off of Tubi like four hours ago. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's like I, said, I I enjoyed it, and I feel like I will enjoy it more the more I watch it. But by the same token, like I cannot shake how epically weird this thing is, um, and it, it just like that's 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 my sticking point is just like it, all the things that I feel like shouldn't work somehow manage to figure out a way to actually work within the context of the movie, um, in a way that doesn't make sense to me but I'm still kind of on board and still kind of engaged in watching it. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I've always thought of it as like, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know it makes sense. Sure. Someone has thought this through. This but film is kind of a testament to that spirit of filmmaking of, of finding things that shouldn't work and like putting the effort into making them work and making a cohesive yet incoherent, incoherent story i don't even I mean, know how to describe the story it. the story definitely makes sense it's just it, it it again it's it's weighted down by so many things that really don't make sense yeah a lot of the sense. a lot of the semantics of the story there's kind of floating around right and 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 again you get the feeling that these things are supposed to matter although you have absolutely no idea why like um the, they call in the uh, what are the names of the uh, the 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 civilian members of the of the oh larger... like the the Buckaroo Bonsai Society or Team Bonsai I can't remember it's like something Blaze Blazer Blue Blazer Blue Blazer oh the kid the kid and his dad yeah I can never remember their names <laughs> well I mean How many I, times have I seen this movie but like the they're called like the Blue Blaze the Blue Blazes yeah. is that right okay yeah so but yeah like the Blue Blazes like they send out this signal. And you just cut to this kid. Uh, his name is apparently Scooter. Who they later give a fully automatic rifle to. Just, Correct. Just want to throw that out there. Correct. Just a small child literally sitting on his bed. Probably like eight out, or nine, seven or eight, maybe. Yeah. And decked fully out in his Buckaroo Banzai regalia. Like, and just sitting next to a, a CB radio or a ham radio, some, some kind of uh, long distance communication device. And he immediately just picks it up and says, okay. And then runs out to his dad, who's just 
standing next to a helicopter talking to a couple of guys and says, dad, dad, Buckaroo's in trouble. And his dad goes, what? And the next thing you know, they're part of the adventure. Like they just. I always think of that kid whenever I watch Galaxy Quest, Justin Long's character. Yeah. Kind of gives me gives me the feels. I'm like, oh, Buckaroo Banzai, kind (laughs) of. He gets to join the adventure with his hero. Yeah. Um, but you're, I, you're right. It does definitely have that kind of feel to it. I, I love the running gag uh, about the, the like renegade team. That, like, was it Perfect Tommy is his name? Perfect yeah, Tommy. Perfect Tommy. Perfect Tommy. What makes Perfect it, Tommy so perfect? That's is, what I it, is, is he's all, Perfect Tommy's always wanted to call in a strike team? That, well, that and he gag. loves Mr. Wizard. He loves Mr. Wizard. <laughs> I mean, first of all, who doesn't love Mr. Wizard? Right? Sure. Yeah, Perfect that's... Tommy's great. Uh, Reno's good. Uh, who's the guy? What's the guy? You said his name earlier, and I couldn't think of it. He's he's in this movie. I can't think of his character's name. He's the one that gets the the alien thingy attached to him while he's trying to. He jumps Rawhide. in front of Buckaroo. Rawhide. What's that? What? Rawhide. Clancy Brown. Yes, Clancy Brown. Thank Rawhide. you. Rawhide. Yeah. He's great in this movie. I I know him as um, the prison guard in Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Uh Clancy also, Brown. he was in the he was in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um which is good if you only watch it once, but if you watch it any more than that, it starts to unravel and you hate it. Uh I don't know. I didn't really like it the first time I watched it. Uh he's also in Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Uh he is the voice of Mr. Krabs in everything SpongeBob. Yarp. He was the voice of Surtur in Thor Ragnarok. And Within, I would say that's a Buckaroo Bonsai reunion there with Jeff Goldblum. Yes, there you go. Within a few years of this movie, he would take on his most uh, probably well-known role uh, within two years, actually, of this movie as the Kurgan in Highlander. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There can be only one Highlander. I have that on VHS. I prefer that movie on VHS. That's that's I'll never another, buy it on anything else. That that's one of those movies that should have been a one and done because all the sequels to that movie are atrocious, like just epically the, bad. The TV show's good. TV show's good. I agree. Movie's bad. Highlanders three through, or I'm sorry, two through four. Again, like there's no point. He's he's the one. What? Where do you go from there? Oh well, they're all aliens and they're coming back. Wait, what? What? It's kind of like Hellraiser. I don't, it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's no reason for yeah. besides the first one to exist. Yeah. The, the, the first one, the only reason it exists, you see, is money in that the first one made a mm. bunch and we want more of that. So we make more of these dumb movies. But yeah. So uh, if only but, Buckaroo Banzai had made a bunch. I know we would have we would have gotten so many more of these movies, but people don't did not seem to show up for this movie. So Buckaroo Banzai, I guess this is as organic a segue as I can come up with for getting us into the box office. It feels a little early, but I'm just going to do it. Six point three million dollars at the box office, Mm. which is what's the budget. uh, I don't have the budget numbers. Um. Only made sixty six hundred and twenty thousand opening weekend, so it made about a tenth of Oof. its overall box office just in its opening weekend. It opened on August tenth, nineteen eighty four. It opened at number seventeen. Uh, at number seventeen, right behind the movie Joy of Sex, 
in its second oh read. Uh, and right above a movie Guess which one people Best still Defense. watch. I mean, true. <laughs> true. Uh, but this top this top 10 is like 1984 distilled into like a single a single 10 list top 10 list uh number one also opening nice. this week is red dawn oh shit patrick, yeah kurt Ru- not kurt russell patrick swayze. patrick swayze yeah patrick swayze and uh and the Sean girl from bad and, uh the girl from footloose and ferris bueller what's her name jennifer gray yeah she's in it too uh charlie sheen uh, number two, uh, in its 10th week, down from number one the week before, Brett's all-time favorite movie, Ghostbusters. Oh, sweet. Uh, which has so far grossed $162.7 million. Uh, Purple Rain in at number three in hey. its third weekend, down from number two the week before. Uh, only want to see you dancing in the Purple Rain. Uh, n- number four, a movie that has aged like milk. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't rewatch that. You guys no. don't do it. No, don't. Don't. Do no. no. I'm glad we don't have to. I That's a movie like I'm, I, it, it's a curse that it got sequels. But for us, it's kind of a blessing because we don't have to watch it. Yeah. Uh, number five. We were just really OK with sexual assault in the 80s. Yeah, we were. Like We loved us some sexual assaults. Oh, gosh. And we wonder why society got so screwed up. Right. Um, Number eight, I'm sorry, uh, number five in its eighth weekend, uh, The Karate Kid, retaining its spot at number five. Uh, number Sweet. six, the original of uh, the most perfect sequel to ever exist. It's Gremlins, Joe Dante's Gremlins, uh, which has thus far grossed $125 million. Yeah, it's in its like eighth month in the theater at that point. <laughs> uh, week 10. Yeah, it's been it, honestly gremlins opens the exact same weekend according to this as ghostbusters so god gee there you go flash the titans there what a what a great what a great time to be alive what a time to be alive 1984 i'd watch a crossover movie too a gremlins ghostbusters crossover hell yeah i would be all in on that that would be like the perfect like venn diagram of brett's interest and my interest that would that movie would be like point zero like zero point zero right in the middle there uh, number seven, another new movie in its opening weekend, Cloak and Dagger, which opens to $2.8 million. Uh, number not the Marvel comic, if anyone's wondering. No, not at all. Uh, that, that sadly has not yet been made into a film. Uh, number eight. They made uh, it into a TV series. Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But they for made it into form. a TV series. For free fun. And it would be really good if they didn't interrupt with a pop song every 30 seconds. I, I've never Just seen saying. Cloak and Dagger. I I watched like a couple episodes of The Runaways and kind of got burned burned out on the freeform uh, Marvel shows pretty quickly. So it was it was that only like a thousand times worse with the forced like relevant pop songs for that week. They just Ugh. throw them in there. We don't need dialogues. Put the song that's on the radio everybody loves. I uh, I call that the the old WB model because back when WB was a uh, was a full fledged network, they did that with like all like all their shows would have like a tie-in to a an album that was on the charts and so Mm -hmm. every song in the episode would be from the album of the week and then they would pimp the album at the end of the episode so if you like i think music you heard in this week's seventh heaven go pick up this album if i remember correctly i may be wrong here but if i remember correctly in cloak and dagger when a song would come on in the corner it would tell you the artist Oh, that's and the name the of the wor- song. That's even and like worse. thank you, but also 
trying to watch a show. We we live in a world where Shazam exists. We don't need you to tell us what song is playing right now. Right. If we really want to know, we'll pull out our damn phones and find out for our own damn selves. Thank you. <laughs> Number eight uh, in its 878th week. It's a Disney re-release of The Jungle Book. Fair. Uh, that's the, the lone outlier in this very 1984 lineup. Uh, number, number nine though, classic 1984 movie, uh, down from number six, the week before in its 12th week, it's Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. And at number 10, Wolfgang Peterson's classic in its fourth weekend. It's the never ending story. Love it. Love it. You're talking about the one with Jack Black, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That was a joke because he's in the third one. Oh, is he really? I, I have no idea which yeah. one he's in. Like as a child. Right. He plays yeah, I a bully. I know he was in one of them, but I just didn't know which one. Uh, but yeah, that's your top 10. Is that the and full again, list? Are there more movies? That's, I mean, there's, do you want me to give you everything in advance of Buckaroo Banzai? Because I can get, I can do 11 through 16. Oh, I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, I it's, mean, it's your show. I'm just. Interesting. 11, Grandview, USA. 12, Bachelor Party. 13, Muppets Take Manhattan. 14, The Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, 15, The Last Starfighter. 16, The Joy of Sex. And 17, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Seems to be the lowest grossing of the new releases this week. That's, uh, I mean, that's a tough lineup to go against, but still. I mean, 1984 is one of the all-time great film years, uh, many would say. Uh, and that top 10 kind of tells you why. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, back the first Back to the Future came out in 84, right? 85. Did it? I thought I thought it took place a year after it came out. No, I think they're I don't all know why trying, I thought that. They're all trying to get back to 1985, I presume, because it takes place in 1985. I'll look it up right now just to make sure. But <laughs> speaking of 1984, though... I had wanted to talk about this. Back to the Future, 1985. Damn. Jonathan Banks plays a the mental hospital orderly uh, that John Lithgow just straight up chokes against the wall. <laughs> Snaps his neck. Yeah, just murderlates the guy. Better be call and collect, Doc. <laughs> Famous last words. Yes. Um, but he, of course, doesn't really rise to prominence until... Uh, until he's on Breaking Bad in the late 2000s. But 1984, like he's been a working actor for years, actually graduated from IU. Oh, nice. Um, see, I know I've seen him in stuff, but it's hard to place him. He's one of those character actors that you just see him in stuff and then you don't remember what. He has got a really great 1984. Uh, so not only is he in Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, he's also in Gremlins, another movie that was on that top 10 list. And then later Wait that year, minute. he is the deputy uh, who's like freaking out in the car. Hey, we got to go, chief. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Sorry. <laughs> How come you always get to drive? That's Jonathan Banks. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And then he is also uh, like an enforcer, like a, a henchman in Beverly Hills Cop, uh, which would come out later that year. So 1984, he's kind of like just shows up in the background of uh, two like really big movies and then in one movie that grows to become a cult classic uh which honestly good for jonathan banks um yep. crazy and then of course a couple years later he's in crocodile dundee 
Um, like he shows up in that, that movie is huge as well. But again, he's kind of playing a, a relatively small role in it. Uh, but f- so funny story, he is in Gremlins playing a deputy uh, police officer. Uh, and he is in Beverly Hills Cop playing a henchman of the main villain. Judge Reinhold is also in Gremlins playing a henchman of the villain, Mrs. Deagle. And then he's also shows up in Beverly Hills. He also shows up in Beverly Hills Cop playing a police officer. So they just kind of switch the roles between those two movies, which I find really funny. That's that's fun. And I've made a hyper specific letterbox list to that effect, which is a thing that I like to do. Good also, time. this movie and Back to the Future are both uh, Christopher Lloyd starring vehicles, uh, wherein a, a car is used to uh, access a place that is normally not accessed in uh, according to the standard laws of physics. That is true. There are actually I've seen some foreign DVD covers that kind of try to play towards that aspect where they kind of they draw the car in such a way that you could mistake it for the Back to the Future DeLorean and they say Christopher Lloyd's in it. Yep. Well Technically, played. we're not lying. Predatory well advertising. Yay. Yep. Got to love it. Got to love it. Play play up what, what people love about it. So let's look at some of the, uh, how some critics have responded to this movie. The Tomatometer score is 68%. Really? Uh, I mean, it's, it's got a, it's got a fresh tomato next to it. It's not, it's not a splat. Yeah. Uh, audience score slightly higher at 69%. Nice. The critics consensus sci-fi parodies like these usually struggle to work, but Buckaroo Banzai succeeds through total devotion to its own lunacy, which I would agree with. Is it a parody though? I don't think it's a parody. It's a parody. It it has elements of parody. I think you could get there if you, if you didn't want to take too long of a walk, but it is definitely dedicated to its own lunacy that much. We can all agree on. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just wouldn't call it a parody because everybody takes it seriously. Like everybody in the movie takes everything seriously and we're supposed to take it seriously too. Which I think is why like it's it not, works I mean, it's silly, well but it does. Yeah. But it is, is not the text itself somewhat parodying of classic science fiction elements. I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't really have a, a dog in this fight one way or the other. Well, I think, I think in a way it's uh I, I'm just saying kind I can of a throwback to older serials in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Almost like Indiana Jones or Star Wars is in a way. Like, and I think it that's why they set it up to be a franchise because it was supposed to be kind of serialized. And that's really how it comes across, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely I mean, and that's why I think it feels a lot like a proto-comic book movie, because it's got a lot of those elements, and you can see how they could easily build out from that based on what you see there on the screen. You can see the bigger world that the movie exists in. You may not have explored all of it, but you can see it existing around the movie. Like uh, the lore, the lore is deep in this one. Which is why I am into it. Um, But if if you were to tell me sight unseen that this movie is based on an old Sunday newspaper serialized comic strip, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, Metacritic score is 70 based on 12 critic reviews. And the letterbox score is 3.2. 
For shame. Gentlemen, how do you rate this film out of five? Tucker, I think we know your answer to this question, but we're going to go ahead and throw to you first anyway. How do well, you- since I don't think you're going to let me break the ceiling, I guess I'm going to say five. Because <laughs> if, if I had my choice, I'd say like probably 34 out of five. <laughs> No, I'm not gonna let you break the ceiling on this one, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I figured you right, so five. five. Five and a half. <laughs> uh Brett, what about you? How did you score this out of five? I, I you know, like I do with a lot of movies like this, I waffle back and forth. Uh I went with I went on the lower end this time, three and a half. I ended up landing on three and a half as well, understanding that I will probably this this my estimation of this will probably grow on subsequent rewatch. Yeah. Oh, it's this a three could, and a half now, but you just right. watch it again. Yeah. I watch it again. It could very well be a four and I would stick with it. I've watched it enough that like my, I don't think my opinion's ever going to change. In fact, I've watched it every day, Stephen, since you told me that we were going to do this episode. I've watched I it once we a day. do this like a few months In ago. February. Yeah. Yeah. Late February. <laughs> wow. All right. Wow. It's okay. easy to put on repeat. Like that's dedication, man. Very easy to watch. Whereas I have not watched it because I knew I would be watching it for this episode. So I've literally kind of backburnered it until such a time as I would need to sit down and watch it. No, I'm telling you, repeat viewings do this a lot of good. We And, and that's that's kind of the assumption that I'm operating under. And, and we'll probably end up revisiting this hopefully sooner than later. Um, like I said, there is a, uh, a, steel, a steel book Blu-ray out there that looks uh, looks pretty sweet and would look really good on my dvd bookshelf back there so I'm, i might be interested in it. it just depends on what the features are really uh when i buy stuff physically uh it's either because i'm afraid the apocalypse is coming or i want the special features yeah i'm, I'm a big a physical media guy uh so i will i'll pony up a little extra for the for the steel books or or things like that where it's a little more collectible and i like the boutique uh services like Scream Factory, Shout Factory, Criterion. Oh, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome, Arrow. Arrow. Yes, all of those. Very good. Uh, and usually, Bay. the re- yeah, the reason to get all of those is the special features and the remasters, usually in a lot of cases. Oh, uh, yeah. Both tend yeah. to be really good. So, I mean, that's, and that, to my mind, is the case for repurchasing in those instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so there's uh, I don't know. I, I, I know Tucker has more to say about Buckaroo Banzai. If I said everything I have to say about Buckaroo Banzai, we'd be here for a couple of days, probably. Well, I guess I guess the, the next question. Uh, tell us a little bit about the plans, because you kind of said this was uh, when we were talking earlier. The plan was to make this a multimedia franchise. What were what was the plan for this? Had this movie been successful and had it gotten the sequels? that they wanted it to get. Well, the beginning, the beginning of Buckaroo Banzai, uh, the writer who you named, and I can never remember his name. E.M. Rouse. Um, he came up with the character, I want to say about a decade before the movie happened. Okay. And he had kind of been, it's kind of a Bill and Ted type of story where like the two writers kind of created Bill and Ted as characters. And then like the world just developed around them. Yeah. He created Buckaroo Banzai under a different name, like Buckaroo Bailey or something. I don't, it was something really not as weird and cool as Buckaroo Banzai. Um, but he kept telling his friend was W.D. Richter and they kept discussing it, discussing it, discussing it. And eventually they were able to put together, well, what, what we see on the screen, just a tiny little piece of this world, like mm-hmm. not even an introductory piece. Like they throw you right in the middle of it. So exactly. Yeah. 
but they always it's strange i think i mentioned this uh a little bit ago but whenever you see the writer or director or anyone involved they treat buckaroo like a real person they treat all this stuff like it happened um I wish I could sit down with those guys and pick their brains because they're the only ones with the answers to all these questions <laughs> because they have this, this whole world like in their heads. Um, there was a book that was released at the same time that was written by the same guy who wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. And I have not read it, but apparently if you see the movie and you're like, this doesn't make any damn sense, read the book. And a lot of the gaps are filled in. See, for uh, me, I don't know if I want the gaps filled in. I kind of like the ambiguity of it. Uh, I was looking on Amazon earlier. But yeah, there was. I think it's just called The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me... But there were going to be, uh, there were supposed to be movies, more movies. At the end of, uh, at the end of the credits, it says, you know, check out Buckaroo Banzai and versus the World Crime League. Which is honestly that was the made reason in why we're doing recently. this episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of the 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 proto movie for this podcast. It, it's mm-hmm. the movie that was very much set up. Like it's not even an origin story. It's not even a part one. It's you're somewhere in the middle, and they just throw you into it. And I kind of you know I I do wish that it had been more successful. I wish we had more Buckaroo Bonsai stuff. But the fact that we only have this little tiny bit kind of makes it a little more special. And if we did have a bunch of stuff explaining this world, leaves it up to interpretation. It's just like when you when you have like a special food or something and you're like, oh, this is my special food, but you only get it every once in a while because if you ate it all the time, it wouldn't be special anymore. Same sure. thing with Buckaroo Bonsai. Like, I wish it had been successful, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad it's a cult hit because it might have ruined it if there were more stuff like explain. That's why I've never messed with the comic books or anything else, because I just don't I don't want to know. I want this to be my one little little porthole into this world. Yeah. Makes it more exciting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they definitely have expanded it out. The, I actually dropped the link to the paperback uh, copy of the book that, oh, yeah, I saw uh, that. Mr. Roush had dropped that in the chat. Uh, if you want to check that out, uh, I, probably out of print at this point. Uh, one of those, I think that uh, uh, you can buy from like a third party vendor. Uh, but the comic book, Buckaroo Bonsai versus the World Crime League, is uh, available. That's a thing you can purchase. Um, the comic book. There's also, I think there was another Buckaroo Bonsai, maybe like an ongoing series. Um, yeah, there've been a couple different comic iterations. So, I mean, it's 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 definitely again, it's enough of a cult hit that people respond to it and pick it up, but it never became the film franchise that they were certainly hoping for, uh, which qualifies it for us. But there's a lot of um, contemporary films uh, that kind of pay homage to that film too if you're a fan of that film uh like life aquatic with steve zisu mm-hmm. which also stars jeff goldblum mm-hmm. they do the walking to music scene at the end it's it's oh, a complete homage it's the same scene it's the same damn scene like if wes anderson didn't get that from buckaroo bonsai then i must have jumped timelines again because there's just no way i and uh, wes anderson is definitely one who will um pay homage <laughs> to the things that he enjoys uh, Yo-Yo Dine, of course, was taken from uh, Thomas Pinchon's novel V, uh, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, um, and then used for this movie. And then it also gets used in a ton of other things like uh, name dropped in an episode of Angel, um, gets called up in Star, uh, Star Trek from time to time. 
I'm just kind of looking on their uh, their Wikipedia page here and just noticing, you know, lots of different the never ending story to use the name Yo-Yo Dine Corp on a spray paint can label uh, wished for by the main character, like, you know, stuff like yeah. that. It just kind of shows up in place. It's, it's one of those that I think probably shows up a lot more than other fictional company names just by virtue of the fact that, you know, it's it's fairly easy to uh, to copy. And I, I think I don't. I'm not a Thomas Pynchon fan. Haven't read any of his books, but I, I, it, between him and, um, and Buckaroo Banzai, that name lives forever uh, as the name of that corporation or just, you know, any yeah. kind of epic, epic corporation. Um, I don't know, Brett, you got anything else you want to say about Buckaroo Banzai? No, man, honestly, I'm still processing it all. I just need to go watch it again. It's there's a lot there, man. There is a <laughs> yeah. lot there. I, uh, uh, for sure. And yeah, it's it's definitely one I'll watch again. Uh, not immediately because I just I can't can't bring myself to watch a movie more than once in a single day anymore. Ah, <laughs> even a movie. That's I why love. some of my movies are my favorite movies. Like I mentioned, Pootie Tang before. There was a time in my life where I would watch that with an ex girlfriend of mine two or three times a day, every day. My uh, my sister, one of her favorite movies when we were growing up was the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan vehicle. You've got mail. Uh, the Nora Ephron yeah. film, and I grew to hate uh, that isn't, movie. Isn't Dave Chappelle in that? Yes, he plays Tom Hanks's best friend. Yeah, uh, because Tom Hanks has to be friends with someone younger than him. My sister was such a big fan of You've Got Mail. By the time she was a freshman in high school, she had watched that movie almost forty times. And I was home almost wow. every time she watched it. And what she would do, literally, she would watch the movie in its entirety put it into the, the VCR rewinder. Once it had been rewound, remove it from the VCR rewinder and put it back into the VCR and play it again. And she would do this until someone made her stop. Uh, and it was agony. So that's why I don't watch movies multiple times in a single day before or anymore. Oh, you've been scarred. That sucks. It does, right. man. You know, the I biggest takeaway from the biggest takeaway from this story story is i'm thinking wow mr fancy pants with your vhs rewinder machine like the rest <laughs> of us just use the vcr we just hit the button on the vcr in fairness it took us a long time before we finally got the vcr rewinder and i think we got it secondhand if i'm not mistaken so like yeah, they weren't our, that expensive i just some of our fancier pantsier <laughs> friends probably got rid of theirs and and we got the the remainder yeah, I I can still usually I've got to really, really like a movie to watch it over and over again, like Ghostbusters. I could probably throw on Ghostbusters and watch it. I've just I could probably do that with Ghostbusters. I could just watch it, rewind it, throw it back in just over e and over again. Even with movies I love, I'd I, just, watch I can't bring myself to do it anymore. I think with Ghostbusters, I'd watch them both on a loop because yes. I am dis despite how some people may feel about the second one. And I understand why they feel that way. It's still amazing. Yeah. I've referred to myself as a Ghostbusters 2 apologist before. Yeah, that's fine. I'll join yeah. you in that fight, sir. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, sir. I got your back. All I will say is I laughed at one point in my life. I laughed harder than I've ever laughed before while watching Ghostbusters 2. So do with that information what you will. Which but. what joke though? What gag was it? Uh, there were two. One was the the Rick Moranis' delivery of the line, and one time I turned into a dog and they helped me. <laughs> Magic. 
And the second was when the lady's mink coat comes to life at the end of the movie. Um, oh, yes. It just left me in stitches. Uh, like those two jokes, I was doubled over, like gripping my stomach, just like were like soundlessly laughing. Um, yeah, I was I was very tired that day. I had like pulled an all nighter the night before. And we decided mm. after all of our classes were done, we were just going to come back and watch Ghostbusters, too. Uh, so we did. And that's what happened. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like the um, when Peter asks Janos where he's from originally and he says the Upper West Side. <laughs> I think that's my favorite line in the movie, though. There are better ones. That is my favorite. Uh, hey, they're just, you know, sometimes you love what you love and you can't, you that, can't explain it. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> uh, all right. But yeah, Buckaroo a movie I think all of yeah. us would recommend that you check out. Uh, it is on uh, Amazon Prime right now, Tubi TV, Pluto TV, uh, as of the time of this recording. Uh, so go I recommend the theatrical cut first. Wait until you've seen the theatrical before you watch the director's cut. You will not. That is my recommendation. Not, you're not ready for the director's cut until you've seen the theatrical, apparently. Which I'm glad that's what I started with. Then, if that's the case, kind of. So, so uh, with yeah. that having been said, uh, Tucker, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you got going, where we can find you on social media, all that. Promote yourself, sir, and whatever you have going. Well, uh, you know, I ha- I wear a lot of hats. Um, what kind of like Buckaroo Banzai? He's my he's my uh, inspiration. Why well, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, I I do music and I, I work on film and, and stuff. Uh, but the really the only thing I have going on is the endless Elseworld stuff right now. I am working on a solo record right now, but like it's not something I'm like gonna promote or anything. It's just for me and my pals. Uh, and of course, you are on social media. Do you want to let people know where they can find you on social media, or just nah? I think I just only have personal pages right now. If you're on Discogs, which is the music lovers version of that site you guys are always talking about. What's it called? The the movie site that you guys Letterbox. are on? Letterboxd. Letterbox. Yes. It's kind of like the music version of that. If you're on Discogs, you can look me up at Ice909. Okay. That's about, I don't really have, like I would give away social media addresses to stuff that I was promoting, but like not my personal stuff. Okay, so too many skeletons in my closet. Don't tag your personal stuff when we promote this episode, is what you're saying. No, please do not. Okay. But I will try. It. I will try really, really hard to have something to promote. Like I, now you've motivated me to do something to promote so that next time you ask me on, if there is a next time, <laughs> I can't imagine there. <laughs> but not next me. time, next unless time we end this, Brett's on, like, yeah, <laughs> screw that guy. I hate yeah. him. <laughs> I played along for an hour, but I never want to talk that dude again. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll I'll try to have something to promote for next time. Okay, that sounds good, man. And uh, hey, we we uh, we thank you for being our number one super fan. Uh, We appreciate you. Thanks for suggesting this episode. This was a movie that I had. It was one of those that I'd always had on my list to see, and you gave me an excuse to see it. So thank you. Well, as soon as I. Uh, knew about your podcast because you guys were like six or seven episodes deep before I even knew that the podcast existed. Yeah. And as soon as you mentioned that podcast, well, this podcast, I immediately thought of Buckaroo Banzai because it is like it's 
it's the perfect movie for this podcast. It is a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's one of the earliest examples of this kind of thing happening too. So where, yeah. where they clearly have a franchise set up and it just doesn't get past the first movie, but this movie is, has languished in enough obscurity that it's, it's not as, as famous as some of the more recent examples, because now it's just, this is what Hollywood does. But before this was mm-hmm. kind of this whole idea of putting the cart before the horse was kind of a foreign concept uh, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. So if Buckaroo Banzai came out today exactly as it is, we'd already be like four or five sequels deep, at least. Oh, yeah. Studio would be throwing all kinds of money behind it. Big effects budgets. All the all the aliens would be done with CGI. It would be great. Yeah, like I said, they would have ruined it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no charm. No charm whatsoever. Right. Uh, but this has that's been... Why, like I was saying before, that's why I'm glad I just have that one little thing. Yeah. And and that's... I mean, interrupt your outro. Go ahead. No, there's something... No, but I do agree. There is something to be said for that, for sure. Uh, with that having been said, this has been the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension episode of the Disenfranchised podcast. Please follow Tucker on the social medias of his choice. You can follow this show on social media at DisenfranchPod. We are on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. I'm sorry, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The podcast does not have its official Letterboxd page yet. If that's something you want to see, let us know, because we can do that. Uh, But I personally am on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Our Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Man, my brain just for some reason not working today. Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus Brett. Uh, such as you are, where can we find you on social media? Uh, currently, you can only find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire, but I'm currently working on some rebranding. Be on the lookout for that. Oh my. It's life an, changes. Like life changes, man. It's an exciting time to be Brett Wright, I guess. I don't know if I'd say it's exciting. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's definitely something. All right. All right. Well, hey, check check us out on the social medias. Uh, make sure you rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, especially Apple Podcasts, five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, please and thank you. If you do leave us one of those, if you leave the title of a movie in your review, we will try to cover that movie as quickly as humanly possible. Um, also, if you want to send us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us. So until next time for our very special guest, Tucker, my co-host, Brett Wright, and myself, we'll see you across the eighth dimension. Uh, watch for the next adventure of Tucker, disenfranchised episode, Pootie Tang. <laughs> <laughs>